Amen. Thank you. And we have for considerable time now, like two months, been talking about prime directive. That is, what is the most important thing for our church, for us individually and for our church? And we came to the conclusion that it is love God, love others, and reach the world. I'm starting a new series right now. And that is, lead me to the cross. Now, there's two reasons for that. One reason is because we're looking at John chapter 12 through 20, which is the last week of the life of Christ. I don't know if you ever recognized that at the end of the Gospel of John, that whole last half of the book is the last week of his ministry, of his time on earth. And Larry, the truth is, from the very beginning, from, from the day he was born of a virgin, from that day on, he was facing the cross. Uh, I preached to you earlier, he was born to die. And that, that last week, especially Charlotte, I mean, that's just one step closer, another step, another step, lead me to the cross. But there's also another reason that I've chosen that title, because years ago I heard a story, and I know that you guys think you can find anything on Facebook, I'm sorry, on, on Google, you can find anything on the internet. And I thought, Aaron, I thought I would find the source of this story, and so I Googled it. And I've never, you know, I read this years ago, and I've never forgotten the story, but even Google doesn't know about this story. So you're about to hear something this morning you can't even find on Google. You, you can't even find it on the Internet, or at least I couldn't. The story is this, that there was a young lad, a young man in London, grew up in the back streets of, of London, and he lived under the shadow of the steeple of the local church. I mean, he was close to the church, and that became the landmark by which he found his way around. But one day, he got away from home just a little bit too far, and he got lost. And he was wandering around, he was in a panic, and some gentleman found him, recognized that he was in trouble, wanted to help him, and he kept asking him, where do you live? What is your address? What street do you live on? But the, guy, the, the young man couldn't tell him. He did not know his address. And so the man began to ask him. He began to name different railway stations and bus stops and, and trying to help him recognize a place that was close to his home. And he finally mentioned the name of the church. And he asked him, is that the church with the great giant steeple with the cross at the top. And he said, yes, that is the church. And the little boy said, lead me to the cross. I can get home from there. That statement, I read that story better than 30 years ago. And that statement has stayed with me from then until, until now. Lead me to the cross I can get home from there. You know, that is a true statement. If you have never been to the cross of Jesus Christ, by that I mean recognize that Jesus died on the cross 
for your sins. If that cross has not become effective in your life in that you have received Christ as Savior. I mean, you've recognized that what He did there was necessary to pay for your sins, for Him to forgive you of your sins, and you've never come to Him in faith so that He would forgive you and save you, then this message is for you. This theme is for you. Lead me to the cross. We would lead you to the cross of Jesus Christ because that is where your saving lies. And from the cross, you can get home. Don't forget that. Lead me to the cross. Well, we are looking at the last, or looking at John chapter 12 and verses 1 through 8 today. Those were the verses that were read to you. And we're talking about lead me to the cross the last week of the life of Christ. And it is very true that he is working his way, walking his way, living his way to the cross. And in fact, in John chapter 12, he is anointed for his burial. Now, where that happens is in Bethany. Bethany is a short distance from Jerusalem. Um, I don't remember who else walked this with me. It may have been Janine Wilson. May, maybe Betty walked this with Brenda and with me. We walked from the Temple Mount down across the Kidron Valley and all the way up the Mount of Olives almost to Bethany. We stopped before we got to Bethany, but it's not that far from Jerusalem. But Jesus is in Bethany, and at supper, he is at, a, at the house of Simon the leper. Now, John 12 does not say that. In fact, reading John 12, you would almost think that he was at the house of Lazarus and Martha and Mary, but in Matthew and in Luke, we know that the supper was actually held at the home of Simon the leper. Maybe he was a family member. Maybe he was a close friend. But he was at the house of Simon the leper in Bethany, and there with him was Lazarus. Now, what do we know about Lazarus? What is Lazarus remembered for? Well, he, he was raised from the dead. That's his legacy. Anytime you say Lazarus, raised from the dead. And it says in John chapter 12 later on that he sat with Jesus at supper there at the house of Simon the leper. Uh, his sister was Martha. Uh, remember Martha? What we remember about Martha is that Martha served. There was another occasion when Jesus was with Mary and Martha, and Martha was all busy and cooking lots of dishes and and clean, I don't know what all she was doing, but she was busy serving and, and complained that Mary, her sister, was not helping because Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus said, she's chosen what's most important. Okay, so we remember Lazarus because he was raised from the dead. We remember Martha because she served, but we remember Mary because Mary worshipped. That is, in fact, what we see in this scene. The verses where she took her alabaster box, her alabaster flask. Larry, we only know that because of Matthew and 
and Mark, it does not tell us this in the Gospel of John, but she took an alabaster box and she broke this valuable, expensive flask that contained a pound of very expensive perfume. She poured it on his head and on his feet in an act of pure worship. Now, I want you to think about that scene, and I want you to think about Mary's extravagance. And I've already said this, but here are the verses. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. Now, that it was in an alabaster flask made it more valuable, made it more expensive. It was the kind of flask that is sealed when it is made, sealed to the point that you cannot unscrew the lid and pour it out. It has to be broken. And in Mark, it says, the box. She broke the box. That was a very extravagant and expensive thing to do. Here in the Gospel of John, we find out that not only was it pure nard, a very expensive ointment that was used for medicinal purposes, but mostly for anointing the body for burial, but very expensive. And there was a full pound of that. Now, you would not normally use a pound of something this expensive. So expensive is this, we're talking about one year's wages for a blue-collar worker. Now think about that. We're talking about a guy who would work in the sun, work as a carpenter, work as a laborer, and what he would make in one full year, she poured out as an offering. She poured out as worship for Jesus. She poured it on his head, according to Matthew and Mark, and she anointed his feet, according to John, and get this, and wiped his feet with her hair. And I love this statement. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. In fact, I forgot to mention this in the earlier service, but some people say, Aaron, that even later when Jesus was carrying his cross, because he had been anointed by this aromatic perfume, there was still on his body and still on his beard, even going to the cross, the smell of this fragrant offering. Her offering, her worship was extravagant. Listen, our offering and our worship to God should always be extravagant. We too often practice boring worship. You come just to listen and you never get involved. There's no response. There's nothing that happens. There's no applause. There's no speaking aloud. No, nothing. No feedback. That's... You know, one of the reasons that I've asked you guys to sit on the front, and I love it that the young people are sitting on the front. I get, what does that say about the people sitting in the back? They're, 
they're the old people. Is that what it is? I love it that the young people are sitting on the front, and especially those who have very expressive faces. You don't know how much it helps me when I see your face and I realize they understand. They're getting it. They're involved. And I will tell you, you will get out of the service what you put into the service. If you're just sitting there bored, wondering when this is going to be over with, you're probably not going to get very much out of the service. But if you're sitting there and you're imagining yourself at the scene and involved in this, and if you're thinking, what does that mean to me? You see, the more you put into the service, the more you get out of the service. And we need to be worshiping God extravagantly. I mean, when we do not, when our worship is boring, we are hiding the splendor of our mighty God. He is a God who deserves our worship. He deserves our praise. And we need to worship Him extravagantly. Now, I want you to notice that her worship was extravagant, first of all, because it was valuable. She took something that meant a lot to her. I've speculated about how long she had actually held on to that alabaster box. Because there, it indicates in Scripture that she has kept it until now. How long? Carter, how, how long had she kept that? Had she saved it? But now at this moment, she recognizes this is the time, this is the moment, and I'm going to break my alabaster box of ointment, and I'm going to pour it out on Jesus in an act of pure, extravagant worship. I've already said that worship needs to cost you something. It needs to cost you your time. It needs to cost you your attention, your effort, your giftedness, your abilities. When somebody reads in the service, when someone sings in the service, when people welcome at the door, they serve as greeters at the door, you are using your giftedness as an act of worship of God. It needs to cost you something. We take an offering. That offering may not be popular. And I know that in some churches they don't take offerings anymore. But I understand that the offering is just as much a part of worship as the song service, as the Bible reading, as the preaching. Your offering is an, an act of worship to God. I've already celebrated that God's done some marvelous things with your offerings. There have been special offerings that, are, that have paid for security cameras in our building since the remodel was finished and we didn't have them. Special offerings have taken care of that above the tithe. Uh, that awning has been paid for. I mentioned the new entrance to our, to our offices. You don't have to go through that ugly stairwell anymore. You can come in a nice entrance and come up a nice carpeted, painted entrance to our offices. And God has blessed, and you have sacrificially given so that that has been totally paid for above our tithes and offerings. 
but our tithes and offerings. I've already mentioned, Charlotte, before you got in here, that people said, we can't do this. We passed a budget that was above what people were giving. And we not only made the budget in January, we crushed it. God crushed it in February. Praise God. It needs to cost you something. Worship is extravagant because what we're offering to God is something that's precious to us, something that is valuable. Not only that, I need you to understand that it needs to cost you something. Uh, one of my favorite Old Testament stories, uh, it's not favorite because of the people that died, because God, God was punishing Israel and people were dying, but there was a moment when the mercy of God showed up and the death angel stood over what is now the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It's before the temple was built. It was a threshing floor. It belonged to a Jebusite by the name of Oranah. The angel of the Lord stood at the threshing floor of Oronai the Jebusite, and God said, go offer a sacrifice there. And David went. Oronah, this is sort of a strange story if you can picture this. Oronah is standing looking at the, at the death angel. He saw him. Bible says so. His son saw him. They went and hid. The old man, you know, I, I pictured this old grizzly guy, and man, he's, he's ready to die anyway, and... And he, he, he says, it doesn't matter, I, I'm just here. And he keeps on working with the day, death angel standing over him. His sons went and hid. David comes to him, tells him, God's told me to make a sacrificial offering here. Because this is where the death angel stopped his punishment. This is where the mercy of God took hold. And he said, King, you can have my oxen for the sacrifice. Take, take the yoke for the wood of the burnt offering, and I will give it to you. David said, no, I will buy it from you. And he said this, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. Listen, worship needs to cost you something. It needs to cost you your time, your attention, your effort. Put your effort into it and worship God extravagantly. Pour yourself out to God in an act of worship. It was extravagant because it was expressive. I've, I've tried to teach you guys to applaud when you hear something that you really support and you believe in. Uh, to some of you, who are old school and want to say amen, by all means, say something. Don't just sit there. Her, her, her worship was expressive. She broke it, the box, and she poured out the offering onto his head, and she got down on her knees at his feet. It was expressive. I would encourage you, to be involved and to be expressive. Sometimes when we're singing, some of you, well, Chris and Kelly, were obviously uh, absent today. They're in Kansas uh, for a special event with the kids, and I miss them when they're not here. I, I certainly miss Kelly's smiling face on, this, 
on the stage today. Doesn't she have a great stage presence? And so we're missing them. But sometimes I see some of you, I see Chris, I see Kelly, raising your hands during the song service. Praise God. Some people have looked at their pastor sometimes when I do that, and they think, what is he doing? Listen, you don't know how much I control myself. There are times I would like to dance and shout and wave my arms. Is there something wrong with that? Absolutely not. Our worship, extravagant worship, would be expressive worship. We need to express ourselves. Not only was it extravagant because it was expressive, but her expression was very personal. It was her box she broke. She gave up what was precious to her, but she poured it on his head And then, imagine this, she got down on her knees at his feet. She poured the perfume on his feet, and she took down her hair. Wendy, I I don't think I'd ever realized the impact of that. For a woman to take down her hair, and she took her own hair, then she wiped his feet with her hair. Man, that moves me. Just the thought of such a personal act of worship. Listen, don't let anybody around you keep you from connecting with Christ and with the movement of the Spirit. We need to worship God powerfully and we need to worship God personally. Be expressive and be personal in your outpouring of worship and service to God. But I want you to know it was extravagant because it was satisfying. It was satisfying to her. True worship, spirit-led worship, will always be satisfying to you. You will know that you have come into the presence of God and you've made a connection with God when you worship God extravagantly, what you might not realize, and I want you to know, is that your worship is satisfying to God. It doesn't just satisfy you. Listen, when you worship God extravagantly, just like Hollywood, just, just like the, the smell filled the room. Listen, your worship goes up to heaven and it is in the nostrils of God a sweet fragrance, a sweet odor, the nostrils of God. And your worship satisfies God. Be extravagant in your worship. Pour yourself out. Be broken before God and pour yourself out in extravagant worship of the Savior. Well, I want you to not only see Mary's extravagance, but the scene would not be complete unless we also saw Judas' criticism. Judas' criticism. Notice that it says, but Judas Iscariot... One of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, 
said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Listen, you need to understand. If you're going to pour yourself out in pure worship and service to God, if you're going to make the sacrifice of leaving work and rushing to get here for the service, and listen, I know some of you did that this morning, and I appreciate that. God sees that. But if you're going to go to that trouble to serve God and worship God, somebody's going to criticize you. Somebody's going to complain. If you're going to break your alabaster box, if you're going to serve and give sacrificially, there's going to be somebody who's jealous. There's going to be somebody who's envious. There's going to be some hypocrite who will criticize you because of what you're doing. The, the Bible says, He said this not because He cared about the poor, but because He was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, He used to help Himself. That means steal. Okay? Let's be clear. Helping Himself to the money bag means He was stealing what was given in the offerings. He used to help Himself to what was put into the bag. I need you to understand. Judas' criticism says more about Judas than it did about Mary. He said it as a hypocrite. He really didn't care about the poor. He cared about the money. He wanted the money. He was not a real disciple, uh oh, wrong verse, back in the previous verse, one of his disciples, he was not a real disciple, he was a thief. He was a hypocrite. By the way, I need to say this, and it's a little uncomfortable to do so. People say, well, I'm not going to that church because it's full of hypocrites. Amen. It is. We all are. We're all sinners saved by grace. And the church is not a sanctuary for saints, that is, perfect people. It is a hospital for sinners. And so before we get too critical of Judas Iscariot because he was a hypocrite, so am I, and so are you. We try to be as real as we can be, but every one of us will fail and we will fall. Listen, if you've struggled with sin this week, join the club. We all do. Thankfully, there is forgiveness at the cross. And there is mercy at the cross. Lead me to the cross. I can get home from there. He was a hypocrite. He was a thief. He used to steal from the bag. Do you see that his criticism revealed more about him than it did about Mary? I need you to understand that. When people criticize you because of your service, because of your dedication, because of your worship, <clears throat> their criticism says more about them than it does about you. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
When they're accusing you of something, what they're saying is that's what they would do if they were in your shoes. And never, never let criticism keep you from pouring yourself out for Jesus. Use your giftedness. Use your talents. Be broken before God. Be willing, be willing to be used and pour yourself out to Jesus. Then I want you to see finally Jesus' commendation. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus commended her for her worship, for pouring, for breaking the box and for pouring it out. Jesus commended her. Now, in Matthew and in Mark, it says, you have done a beautiful thing. That is, wouldn't you like to have Jesus commend you that way? What you did was beautiful. It was a beautiful thing. The commendation. Listen, it doesn't matter how much criticism there are. If Jesus commends you, then praise God. We're looking not for people's approval. We're, work, we're looking for His approval. You've done a beautiful thing. Not only that, but he said, she may keep it for the day of my burial. Now, there's two different translations of this. In the New King James, it says, she has kept it for the day of my burial. And that's the reason that I wonder, Stan, how long did she have it? And Cheryl, what he's saying is, in that translation, if that's the accurate translation, She's been keeping it for the day of my burial. And I wonder, Zach, did Mary get what nobody else did? Did she understand He's on His way to the cross? And she's been keeping this, knowing that at some point He's going to die, and I'm going to anoint His body when He dies. But now she gets it. He's going to die. And I have to anoint the body now because He's predicted that He's going to be raised from the dead. She got it. She kept it. But now she says, if I don't do it now. Says she has done what she could. Now she has the opportunity. And if she doesn't do it now, because he's going to be raised from the dead, she won't have the opportunity. And by the way, she did not go to the tomb on that first day of the week. She was not one of those who went. Joseph, she knew he wouldn't be there. He had predicted his resurrection. The other disciples, the apostles, didn't get it. I think about it. She understood. On the other hand, it says in that verse that I read to you, Let, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. He's not talking about the perfume, that she can keep the perfume. He's talking about let her keep what she's done. Let her hold on to that. Don't rob her of that. 
You see, Judas is trying to take away from her what had been done, what she had done. And he's saying, don't rob her of the meaning. Listen, when somebody else around you in this service begins to worship extravagantly, don't you pour cold water on them. You let them keep it. You let them worship extravagantly. Hey, join in with them. Don't criticize them. Be a part of that extravagant worship. Pour yourself out. She has done what she could. She had an opportunity to do something amazing, and she did not miss it. She took the opportunity she was given. What opportunities have you had to serve God in an extravagant, sacrificial way? Listen, don't miss that. Don't miss those opportunities. And then he says, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. That's her legacy. That is her legacy. What she did is that for which she will be remembered till, the, till Jesus comes again. And we fulfilled that scripture today, didn't we? We talked about Lazarus was raised, Martha served, but Mary worshipped. Oh man, did she worship. Listen, this story is really all about Jesus because it's a picture of Him. You see, God also had an alabaster box, precious, and He broke His box, Jesus, and Jesus was poured out as a sacrifice for you and for me. What is He asking you to do in response to that. Well, for one thing, value the sacrifice He made. You see, I think I said this last week, when you say it's not enough, I'll earn my way to heaven, I'll be good enough, and you reject the sacrifice Jesus made, you are depreciating, you are ignoring, you're turning away, you're saying that His sacrifice means nothing to you. Value His sacrifice. Receive Him as Savior. Then in response to His sacrifice, pour yourself out to the glory of God. Go break your box. Give up your pride. Confess your sin. Repent and come for salvation. You know, as I look across the crowd today, there's some of you who need to be saved. You need to trust Christ. There are some of you who need to come for baptism. Follow the Lord in scriptural baptism. There are some of you who need to come and join the church. There are some of you who need to renew your commitment to God. I'm asking you to do what Jesus did. I'm asking you to do what Mary did. Pour yourself out to the glory of God. Of God, I want to just bow in prayer. I'm going to sit down at the front of the stage while I pray. And if God has spoken to your heart a commitment that you need to make, 
I'm going to ask you to just come sit down beside me. Make that commitment. Let's pray together. I'll do this just for a minute, so you'll have to move quickly. And you come, even while I'm praying. If God has spoken to your heart a decision for salvation, for baptism, for church membership, for rededication, whatever it is God wants you to do in pouring yourself out for Him, I ask you to come right now.